You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Uh, yes, Coach. Um, I wonder if there's a downside when you have a, the quarterback position and the players taking a long time to uh, separate themselves and make the decision for you, I guess, way to put it. Yeah, but that's kind of up to them. You know, like I said in here before, you know, I told the quarterbacks, I said, quit looking around for me to make a decision about who's going to play. How about you playing good enough that I don't have a choice? That's what you can control. That's what you can do. And somebody needs to do that. And um, it, it's sort of, you know, taking shape to some degree. But somebody's somebody's got to do it. And, you know, where you all think that, you know, like whoever we name as a starter for the first game, that's like the end of it. It's not the end of it. It's just the beginning. So what if a guy doesn't play good? Not entitled to keep playing. And the guy that doesn't play is got every opportunity to practice and be more consistent and win the team over so that when he gets an opportunity to play, he plays really well. I mean, we have changed quarterbacks around here a few times during the season. So I, I know you guys are looking for an end, but it's not even going to be the end in the first game. You're looking at me kind of funny. Is that, am I not explaining that very well? I didn't explain it very well in my question, I suspect, but I was wondering about yeah, I the time. You asked, the time and I just time. don't want to answer it because okay. <laughs> we're, we're going to make the best of it for our team. And our team has to make the best of it as well. So, And whoever plays the position, everybody's got to play well around them and do the best job that they can to help them play well. I think what Kirk McNair was trying to ask, and here I am guilty of trying to think uh, what another man's thoughts are, was he trying to ask if the quarterback situation with three and four guys getting a lot of reps slows down the offensive prog- progress? That's, is that what, is that what I, you think? Yeah, that's what I gathered. And, um, you know. And I, you kudos, know, that's a good question. I'll ask Kirk you. for asking the question. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, Kirk's been around it, and, yeah. you know, Saban can throw a knife at him and he's going to be fine. Um, he's knife proof. But what yes. do you, do you think it slows down the progress of the entire offense? Yes. I do too. Absolutely. Um, in an ideal situation, you would have your guy heading into camp and he would get the majority of the reps with the ones. And that is not the case, although it certainly appears that Jalen Milrow is getting more reps with the ones than uh, the other two. So uh, I think we can deduce from what we have seen and what we've been told that the starter for game one is going to be Jalen Milrow. I agree. I don't and, think there's um, much. Uh, there's not a lot of room for movement and, and, there. And, there. and there's no reason to for Nick Saban to come out and definitively say, "All right, Jalen Monroe, he's our guy. He's our guy for the rest of the season." You know, uh, he don't, doesn't need to do that. Um, you go back, you, you look at uh, um, uh, Jay Coker. Right, like he, uh, I think started and then lost the job and then ultimately won the job and, and came back next year, won the national championship. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Coach Saban's right. Like, uh, obviously, he's he's been through it. That uh, there have been times when Alabama has switched quarterbacks, and uh, you know, I think it's the like half the, time <laughs> in that championship yeah. game. Um, 
it's it's a it's a little more imperative at least from where i sit to have a starter to have your guy going into texas week right and so after uh game one it would be good for Saban and the rest of the staff, I think beneficial for one guy to sort of emerge a little bit so there's not a question mark of, of uh, who's going to play and who should get more reps in practice in preparation for Texas. But you know darn well that they have been preparing for Texas for a long time. Like and, a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Alabama was extremely fortunate. They, they to, were. To get, but I think they've got I a mean, that, on. That one and, call in the, where Bryce Young in the end zone that they called roughing the passer, uh, it was just one of the worst calls I've ever seen. And that really helped Alabama out a lot. And uh, and also with the injuries that Texas sustained um, with Quinn Ewers, that's most, uh, most specifically. Let me ask Ewers, you this, yeah. Lars. All right, and uh, key key your mic, as we say in the business, there, Justin. Is there a chance that Alabama may go through the first part of the season, maybe the entire season, although it is not his forte, two quarterback system? Yeah, I think it's possible because um, if 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 one guy just doesn't emerge then he'll keep searching for it and uh, searching for that person to, as he always says, win over the team, win over the locker room. And I think that's much harder for Tyler Buckner than the other guys because Buckner's a transfer and came in late. And I still think there is a little separation just based on what I've been told, that separation between uh, Milrow and Simpson and then there's Tyler Buckner. Right. But you never know. Because you, you, we're going to see. Obviously, we're going to see all three of them here in about what in nine, nine days. Nine days. Now yeah, we're going to see all three of them in nine days. And you know, there have been many, many, many quarterbacks throughout history who just aren't great practice players. But then once the whistle starts and the action is live, uh, they are absolutely transformed and become much uh, more efficient. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. What, what, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think we could see two or three quarterbacks throughout the season. I sure hope we don't, though, because I think that creates problems for the offense, uh, for production. And, I oh, man, I think we really could, and I but I don't want to see it. What is it, the, the old saying, if you've got two starting quarterbacks, you really have none? Yeah. Um, because nobody is separated. But my opinion on using two would be more about the differences in the way they move the football. And I, I think that, you know, and obvious, I think pocket passing plays, say that again, pocket passing plays. Triple uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, maybe Tyler comes in, but m- more of an RPO type situation, you put Milrow in. Um, I don't know, but I, I'll go back to this. I've never seen Saban do that. I don't even remember if he ever did it at Michigan State or LSU, using two quarterbacks throughout a game. Do you think Tommy Reese is that creative? I mean, I know he's a great offensive coordinator, but you have to be pretty smart and outside the box to use three quarterbacks in that way. Do you think Tommy Reese can do that? Well, I think it's going to be two, and I think it's going to be Simpson and Milrow, and their skill sets are very different. And uh, I think it's sort of depending on 
gosh, would you even rotate quarterbacks in the middle of a series? Maybe, depending on down distance and where the ball is on the field and whether or not you want to run an RPO where you have Milrose, basically a extra running back in there, uh, and maybe the most athletic player on the entire team. Um, you, you don't want that. I know you don't want you, you, you don't want to have you don't want to have two quarterbacks toggling back and forth. And that's we'll go back to the original statement from the top of the hour. If you're going to try and run a two quarterback system, having three and four vying for that slot doesn't help doesn't allow you to practice with two different types of quarterbacks. Because they're just trying to still figure out who's going to be the guy that's going to take the snap. Also, it's harder to, for the receivers to develop chemistry exactly. with the quarterback because the, the 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 balls are thrown differently. They are thrown to different spaces. Um, you know, it, it's just. I mean, why do you think Patrick Mahomes, for goodness sakes, is playing in the preseason? It's because Kansas City has a bunch of new wide receivers, and 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 Andy Reid wants Mahomes to develop chemistry and a rapport with those wide receivers, really young wide receivers, including including Justin Ross, right, who yeah, torched Alabama. Guy from Alabama. Yeah, he's had so many injuries. I, I'm rooting for that kid. I, he's got so much talent. Um, but Andy Reid wants wants Mahomes to develop that, um, again, that rapport with his wide receivers in real live game action because you just can't replicate the speed and the intensity uh, of, of game action in a practice. So I've been told. Wow. So you know. Yeah. Hey, coming up, we're going to talk some more Alabama football with uh, our good friend Bill Lumpkin. Uh, his father is a Hall of Fame sports writer, the Birmingham Post-Herald, uh, and he has followed up a really fine career as more of a freelance writer. I think he did write for the news and the Post-Herald for, for a while. Now it seems to me he just travels the world. I see Facebook posts from Las Vegas, Europe. It's a... Uh, He's leaving. He's leading a very good life now. But he'll join us on the other side of this break as you listen to Big Noon Sports. Hey. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling summer afternoon, lots of sunshine. The high today near 100. For tonight, fair with a low at 75. Excessively hot weather again tomorrow and Saturday. Partly to mostly sunny both days. Highs will stay very close to 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 97 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. And joined now by Bill Lumpkin Jr., longtime friend, longtime sports writer. Of course, um, uh, like a few of us in this business, uh, not myself or Lars included, but uh, kind of lived through the shadow of your dad because he was just an absolute icon and, and still is but you're a pretty damn good writer in your own right uh bill it's matt and lars how are you i'm good thank y'all for having me today i just uh, i brought it up so i'll ask you um my son's had to deal with this a little bit isn't your dad that guy and yeah it's always been that way yeah boom 
You still there? I was really anticipating a wonderful answer, but it just dropped. It happens. um, Yes, with all the amazing technology and improvements we've made over the years, um, I haven't found out a way to get the cell phone drop out. (laughs) Well, I'm sure we'll we'll get him back here in a second. Um, Another topic that I wanted to hit on was uh, Tua and uh, Ronnie Clark. And, um, you know, we talked about this yesterday that that Ryan Clark, uh, who's an analyst for ESPN, uh, played in the NFL for 13 years. He joked earlier this week on an episode of NFL Live that Tua looked like he had skipped the gym and that, quote, he might spend a lot of time in the tattoo parlor. He was not at the dinner table eating with when a nutri- what the nutritionist had advised. All right, we're going to go back Let's to go Bill Kadudi, and, and we will pick up this uh, story uh, in, here in a segment or two. Indeed, Bill, you got us now. Yeah, I'm here. I just gave you the secret to the mint too. It's just uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we missed it. Uh, yeah. uh, well, just my dog heard it. I hope she doesn't go to uh, laughing. Uh, continue with thoughts about your father. What? I was telling him one time, you know, when your dad's like that, you always want to top him a little bit. So one night I was sitting at the dinner table and I said, I just met somebody famous. I don't know who it was. And I said, who's the five most famous people you've ever met? And I thought I'm going to really top him today because I've just met a couple of people. And he goes, let me think about that for a minute. And I said, no, you can't throw out your friends like Bear Bryant or anybody like that because I've met him too and all. And he goes, he goes, well, you know, I had beer with Dizzy Dean one time. Wow. And he said, I had bean soup with DiMaggio. And um, he goes, let me think. But I was like, never mind. I'm, 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 I'm done. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he was. He, he could spin a tale. He could uh, he could tell a story. And, you know, he's a great writer. But, you know, it's never a dull moment. It's, it's funny you brought it up because he would, he would give us gifts sometimes where he forged the autograph. And you never really knew. He gave my cousin a golf book for Christmas one year. It was autographed by Jack Nicholas, And we all knew he had done it. And uh, and so one year I called him. I was a big Reds fan. He had written on a lamp, Johnny Bench. And I had several things by Bench, and I could tell what. But, but this weekend they were having an Atlanta Braves alumni weekend. And one of the pitchers for the Braves was a guy named Jim Nash. I don't know if you know Jim Nash, but older guy. Well, my uh granddad's relatives were named Nash and he always told us that that was Uncle Jim Nash and we had a baseball card he wrote Uncle Jim Nash first guy I bump into at the Braves game this weekend is Jim Nash I go over there and I go hey uh, we're related Uncle Jim Nash <laughs> and he looks at me like similar story with <laughs> Kenny Anderson yeah. so he looks at me and he goes uh how are we related? And so I tell him, he goes, no, nah, I don't think, he goes, we might be related, but that ain't who I, you know, not that way. And I come back and tell my mother, she goes, you know, your dad just made that up. And I tell my brother, and he goes, we're not related to Uncle Jim Nash. I was like, I don't guess so. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We have an incredibly similar story. My, my father, uh, told me, 
when I was very young that uh, Ken Anderson, who was a starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, was my uncle. And before games, uh, we had a, you know the old rotary phone, and if you dialed your own phone number and hung it up, the phone would ring. And he would do that, and then he would act like he was talking to Ken Anderson in the locker room. And not only that, he was giving Ken advice on what plays to call and what not to call. Then he would do the same thing at halftime. And, boy, he just uh, he went to great lengths to continue the charade. And I'm not kidding. I believed him until I was, like, in seventh grade because <laughs> my mom was kind of – That's hilarious. Yeah, my, you know, I, 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 hook, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And so every uh, school, like, class photo from first grade, second grade, all the way up to seventh, I am wearing a Ken Anderson jersey and and, and orange pants. <laughs> so, Whoa. That's amazing. He was my favorite player growing up, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I bumped into him in 87. I was sports editor at the Huntsville News. We had, like, a 15,000 circulation. And I wrote it. They had like four guys from Alabama, or uh, Manuel King, and a couple guys from UNA. So I sent them a letter. I was like, "Hey, can I come up here and do a story?" They're like, "Yeah, come on." And I took another guy, and a photographer. We go up there. They put us like on the fifty. And first guy I bump into is Kenny Anderson. I'm like, "Oh my God, there's my idol <laughs> from all time." And uh, hey, I I loved Kenny Anderson. I had a big. I still am a big Bengals fan. I got a Reds fan for some reason. Yeah, I, and I would, uh, a couple years ago, I was doing a radio show with Al Del Greco, and Al had gotten to be friends with Ken Anderson, and uh, he had, unbeknownst to me, Ken calls into the show, and he <laughs> pretends to be my uncle, <laughs> and then asking me why oh, I wasn't wow. at, uh, you know, a crazy Aunt Elizabeth's uh, family reunion last week. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and he, he just he he carried it on, and since then we've uh, we've become friends. And I was I was really disappointed yesterday when he didn't make the Hall of Fame. Oh, I know. He deserves he deserves to be in on air, and uh, I kind of had a little meltdown. Yeah, uh, <laughs> disappointment doesn't even come close to describing how Lars was, and he went on for about ten minutes. On how I, I am too. Yeah, yeah. I imagine you were upset. Well, um, <laughs> we've known each other for dang near forty years, and I didn't know you were an Anderson guy, so we can just say that's the reason we got you on today. So, so you and Lars, because I could right. just step away from the mic. Justin and I could go get a cold beer, and y'all yep. talk about Kenny Anderson for the rest of the show. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, you're talking about pranks. <laughs> well, you know, you're talking about pranks back in the back when the media was fun. Yeah, you know, I was starting to write for the post era when I was still in high school, and I'd go up there after the games, and they'd always try to pull pranks on me. So they pulled this joke where they could pick your card. You called the the professor, and he could pick your card, and they played on me every night. And they finally told me they had how to do it. And another guy would be on the phone, and you'd call the professor, and when he'd go, he'd go, you know, uh, spades, diamonds, clubs. And whatever it was, he'd go, is the professor there? And he'd go, ace, king, queen. Then he'd go, hey, professor. Then he'd hand you the phone and you'd go, your card is the jack of clubs. And I, I mean, that was to me when I was in high school, that was the funniest <laughs> trick. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, back when the media, you could have fun with it. Now it's totally different. Is there a, I, 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 is there a favorite story that you've worked on in your career? One that uh, has stuck with you through the years? Well, you know, I was 
when I first got to Gadsden, I was working for the Gadsden Times. And when I was in high school, I was, I was small. I was like five four. Couldn't play football. I was I was doing stats and all. So by the time I got to Gadsden, I was about two twenty five, and I was about five, almost six foot. I was good friends with one of the high school coaches. He's like, "Hey, you know, it's August. Why don't you come out here and practice with us?" And he goes, "We'll set it up where you can run with the meat squad offense." I mean, the, the first team offense gets meat squad defense, and you can be a running back. And I was like, hey, you know, that sounds like a great idea. So I wrote this big story that I had the moves of Jim Brown, and I, I could do slashing like O.J. Simpson before he was a slasher. And uh, so I get over there. So it's going to be three days. So the first day wasn't too bad. Second day, I see people counting to see which one I am so they can hit me. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to, this is not very good. So the third day, I can barely move. I'm so sore. And I get over there, and it's Coach DiLorenzo at Gadsden. He goes, man, he goes, uh, it's raining. And he goes, I've got a scrimmage, first team defense. Do you mind running against them? I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, there's a lot of people over here to watch. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. First play, I can see the offensive linemen. They're pointing to which way I'm going. And I was like, oh, this is this isn't going to be good. So it's a little sweep. I take off on the sweep. There's nobody over there. I think I'm going to score. This is going to be a touchdown. I get about ten yards downfield, and two guys dive at my knee and tear every ligament in my knee. Oh no! And so I'm I'm laying in the hospital. Phone rings. Ray Perkins. <laughs> I'm kind of doped up, and uh, and he goes, "Hey, Bill. Hey, well, coach. He goes." Don't you know your eligibility's up? <laughs> like, it, it is now. And then right after that, this guy calls from Sports Illustrated. And he says, hey, we heard about this. We want to run one of those little blurbs that used to be on the front, uh, in the front section about this. It's called Plimpton Meat Lumpkin. And I'm, I'm doped up. I was like, who, who, who would do this? And so I hung on, I hung up on him like six times. He goes, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I was like, all right. So, yeah, I remember that more than anything because I still got the scars to prove it. <laughs> and it's in Sports Illustrated and all this, and it, it was fun. You know, but like I said back then, and then the other thing is still, I was in Huntsville, Huntsville News. We did this little prediction column on high schools. And um, it, it was a, you know, we tried to have fun with it. Like if somebody got beat 65 to nothing and then they lost 60, I'd go, well, they look like they're going to lose 130 to nothing. And, you know, God call up and go, hey, you sold every paper in ARAB this week. I was like, hey, that's the point, you know. So what the coach at Huntsville High School was kind of on to it, Greg Patterson. So he said, hey, will you come over here and speak to our uh, pep rally and let me write the speech? <laughs> and I was like, you're going to write the speech? And he said, yeah, they were playing Grissom, who's their biggest rival, as Matt would tell you. So he, he writes the 10 reasons why Grissom is better than Huntsville. And he wants me to say it in front of their pep rally. So I go over there and I take three bodyguards. We're dressed in trench coats. We got toy machine guns. We got a briefcase we're handcuffed with, like we got the secrets to the, the mint. And we go over there, we're going to have fun. So the Panther uh, mascot comes up and my friend, the Panther reaches out to shake his hand and he flips her. He didn't know it's a girl. Flips her on her, uh, and we're like, okay, this is not going to be good. So we start top ten reasons why Grissom is better than Huntsville. The second one was like, my parents have more money than yours. <laughs> and, I've seen that. 
And then the third one was our cheer, their cheerleaders are prettier than yours. And each one I said, the, the crowd's getting closer and closer. Because our kid, I was, and then the fourth one, I don't even know what the fourth one was. Here they came. It was a mob. So we take off running, and the coach is like, "It's a joke. It's fake. It's a joke." And I mean, it it would it almost turned into a, a, that night. Like he was having to tell the parents, like, "Hey, I was in on this. I wrote the speech." I mean, it was it was a, a crazy thing. And when I got back to the paper, it was on like the police scanner, and my boss goes. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with that? I was like, I, I don't know what you. He goes, don't do it again. I was like, okay, I'm good. Oh, that says a lot about Greg Patterson. I know him well. Says a lot about the Huntsville Grissom rivalry. I was with Matt here well. those times. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it got a little over the top, as you just explained several times. Uh, hey, yeah. we're going to actually talk some Alabama football. Let's do that. Good stories, though, okay. Bill. Appreciate every one of them. But if you hang through the break, we'll get down and we'll find out who really knows. The what is it? The keys to the mint and the Alabama quarterback yeah. situation. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Later in the show, we'll be talking to Marquise Mays. Right now, we're going to talk to Lars Anderson with a breaking story and then back to Bill Lumpkin. Yeah, this isn't good. Uh, out of uh, Broncos camp, wide receiver Jerry Judy, as we all know, a former Alabama player, uh, he took an end around during practice, and as he was running, pulled up lane, grabbed his right upper leg, looked like his hamstring. He was very upset. Cart came out to get him. He had trouble getting on the cart. Teammates came over before he was taken inside, and then he needed help getting off the cart and getting inside. And for a wide receiver to have what appears to be uh, a hamstring injury, and then, you know we don't know the extent of it. Uh, it's a it's a tough break, a tough break for Jerry Judy and the Broncos and Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Oh man. You hate to hear that. Yes. Uh, especially when he's that much pain. You wonder if it's not just a pull. Anyway, Bill Lumpkin, back to you. Tell us who's going to start the quarterback. What's the quarterback what, situation in Alabama? What, well, I'm trying to drop Judy off my fantasy team as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, man, I, you know, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I think Saban knows because, I mean, he's smiling and laughing more than you've ever seen him at the media these days. Uh, you know, I listened to this thing yesterday and I think they'll, I think they all play the first game and, you know, whoever does the best starts against Texas. And I, I, 
I think they want somebody beside Milrow to start. And I think, you know, they didn't bring Buckner down here to sit on the bench either, but to learn that system in a short period of time, so, you know, I don't know. I get, you tell me. I, th- I think they want Ty Simpson to win it. Uh, that may be true. Uh, and two weeks ago, Lars was on that bandwagon. Um, I opened up the chance. I, I opened the show with this. Would Saban continue the season playing two? I think he'll play whoever, um, you know, wins. You know, I, you remember that night in Ole Miss when he started Cooper Bateman and uh, got down where they ended up throwing 100 passes, and then he'd go to Jake Coker in the middle of the game. And, you know, we were out in Dallas that night. I, I got engaged at tailgate that night where he started Blake Barnett and first series, here comes Jalen Hurts out. Right. So, um, you know, I, I I think he knows. The way he's smiling and laughing, it's almost like he's laughing at, like, y'all keep picking us, fifth. This is a pretty good football team we've got. He goes, we got a, you know, this is the best running back group they've had. And if they're going to play smash mouth and some things like that, you know, just don't throw interceptions. And, you know, that's where Milrow made so many mistakes last year where he was, you know, turning the ball over. So I think he wants somebody that doesn't turn it over. Do you think we are going to see a philosophical shift on uh, the offensive side of the ball? More just ground and pound, run the clock, uh, you know, take the air out of the ball. And just, uh, as you said, uh, maybe more play action. Uh, just you want your quarterback, just don't make a mistake. Uh, embrace the philosophy that every possession that ends with a kick, whether it's a, a field goal attempt, extra point, or even a punt, that's a good possession. I, I think he would like to do that. I don't know in today's age where you can do that, but if you're, you know, Georgia's done it. Just be physical and and uh, you know have a guy that doesn't turn the ball over and make some plays and and uh, and you know I think they're the tight ends. I think they're pretty uh, underrated. That people are going to be surprised at their tight ends this year with the, the kid they got out of Maryland and uh, the, uh, I think they're going to throw to the tight end and use them and. They got, you know, good running backs and their offensive line, you know, the big kid from Iowa starts. I think, you know, they're going to have a pretty stout offensive line. So, yeah, I would think he would like to do that. I think their defense could be uh, really good. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they are. I was on a, uh, a different show the other day and they, I was asked, it was in Nebraska and they're asking me if, uh, can Matt Rule turn this around as quickly as Nick Saban turn it around? And how did Nick Saban turn it around so fast? All right. Well, that's sort of a difficult question to answer in about 30 seconds, but I, I pointed to the recruitment of Julio Jones. And once, once Nick signed Julio, that sort of opened up the floodgates to all these other five stars, four stars who wanted to come to Alabama and that Julio ended up being that program changing recruit. Do you, do you agree with that? And, and how would you answer the question? Okay. Nick Saban arrived in 2007 and 2009. He basically wins a national championship with the, a, a core of guys who are already here under Mike Shula. What? Speaking of like you know the uh, the keys to the mint, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would absolutely, <laughs> I would absolutely say the same thing that you said about Julio Jones. I think that was the the key. If he goes somewhere else, you know what what happens. Um, but you know, she had a pretty good team uh, those last couple of years. He was a couple of plays away, and 
I think there was some talent there, and then I think when Saban came in, it was just completely different. You know, it's funny. I, Jim Bunch is on my uh, Facebook that played under Bryant, and they were they were on Facebook this morning laughing about uh, Big C was on there saying that. Uh, <laughs> Bryant came up and said, did you register today? And Bunch goes, he never asked me that. I said, yeah, you were taking football 101. And he goes, yeah, that's the truth. He said, but he did tell us we needed to graduate, but we came for athletics, not academics. <laughs> and I think, you know, Saban, I think, you know, Saban's a, I mean, he's probably the best there's been. And, and but Julio and, you know, I, I was watching one of the replays. I think it was a 2010, one of the 10 games. And, you know, everybody talks about McCarron being a game manager, but he th- he threw a good football. And he, he had, you know, they they lined up, and, you know, Trent Richardson back there, they played smash mouth and threw, you know, and, and threw to Julio when they needed to, and, and but they had a great defense, too. Well, the, the difference um, in the two times they played LSU when Alabama won the second one was it twenty one zero in New mm-hmm. Orleans was yeah. the fact that uh, Saban said, "All right, we're going to have we're going to need AJ to throw football," and they threw yeah. the football, and it was the, exactly what Alabama needed because then they opened up Trent Richardson. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that first game was on the other night, and I kept watching it, and I was like, "How did they lose this game?" I mean, they're just going up and down the field, and then the field goal kicker, of course, missed about five kicks. But I was like, how did they lose this game? I was like, because they were just dominating the game on the line of scrimmage. They'd get down there and couldn't score and miss field goal. And, um, you know, they had – but that's what they were playing. Trent Richardson, smash mouth, get four or five yards and throw. And then, you know, McCarron had to make some throws, and he was a good quarterback that did it. Well, and, you know – his record in pro football speaks for itself in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he hung around. He's another bangle. That's right. <laughs> How did you end up loving all these Ohio teams? Were you born in Ohio you know, and I just didn't know it? No. You know, it's funny. In 1969, I, I worked the scoreboard out at Rick Woodfield for the A's. And the ticker tape would come across. And this guy was a Pirates fan. He goes, who are you going to pull for? And I said, man, I like that Pete Rose and Johnny Bench. And um, I said, I think I'll be a Reds fan. And from that day on, I was a Reds fan. And I said, well, I'm a Reds fan. I need to be a Bengals fan. And I just loved Kenny Anderson back then. And I was like, so I've stuck with him through and through, good times and bad. I tell people in 87 and 86, I was, they were 2 and 14 or whatever they were. And I was in Las Vegas. I bought a ticket on them to win the Super Bowl at like 40,000 to 1, just as a lark. And they, they don't go to the Super Bowl. And they're one play away from winning. And Lewis Phillips, of course, has an interception here right in the chest. And the next play, Montana throws the winning touchdown. And at the time, I knew Phillips pretty well. And I called and I was like, you know what you just cost me? Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, he played at UNA, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, that, that was the Super Bowl right there, and it, tragically Lewis Billups lost his life, I think, in, in a car yep. accident. Um, but he kept—I mean, it, it just hit him right between the two and the four. And, I know. And, and, uh, <laughs> years later, uh, wrote a book with Bruce Arians, and he hammered this point home to me. He said, "Really, really, really bad things happen." The play after you drop an interception. (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. Yeah, it it is true. Um, (laughs) I need to ask you just real quick about Hugh Freeze and and Auburn and and what your assessment is of of Hugh Freeze and and what he's done so far. And, you know, he's had a couple really big victories uh, on the recruiting road. 
Well, you know, his track record kind of speaks for itself, and it seems like, you know, he kind of brought in a whole new team, so you're kind of anxious to see what some of these guys can do down there because he brought in so many new guys out of the portal. But he, he, I mean, he seems to be getting some good recruits. Um, it's a brutal schedule for the first time out. You know, what, what's successful at Auburn this year? You know, I've heard some of us like, oh, we're going to be 10 and 2 or 8 and 4. But you look at that schedule and you know what is successful for them the first year. But I do think he's building, building them back. Uh, he's gotten, you know, some great recruits. And, um, I, we know he's a good coach. We've seen that before. He can stay out of trouble, and, and he's got good – I think he's got good – you know, I know, I've known Cadillac Williams since I was in Gadsden, and I, for keeping him on the staff, and I think they're going to be much better. But whether that's you know, turns into wins and losses this year, it's hard to say because, you know, the transfer portal changes everything. You don't know what some of these guys do or what they can't do. All right, as, as we wrap it up, give me uh, your East – Division, West Division winners, SEC championship, and your top four going to the playoffs, and who's going to win it all? Well, you know that I dress up as an Alabama fan every week, so I'm hard to hard to pick against them. So I'm yeah, going to say it's you got some new overalls. I know I got. I, you know, it's funny. I, I got. Well, I started out with a. You know, the, I have that championship belt that weighs about six pounds of WWE, and I've got the Flavor Flav chain, and uh, now. Uh, my wife, each time, she's like, you're not, are you really going to wear that? And uh, my friend, Robbie Davis, bought me one of the chains and then Lori. But this year, I've already had a couple people like, are you going to be there with all that stuff? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be on there. So I have fun with it. And, you know, and But I, I think Alabama's good. The team, I really think they're going to be good. I think Georgia's going to be good. So I'm going to say Alabama wins the West. I know that's, you know, chalk, and I think Georgia wins. And... You know, I'm not really sold on LSU like everybody else because I've just never been a big Jaden Daniels fan. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I saw him so many times when he's out in the Pac-10. And I know they're they're loaded, but I think they're going to be tough. And I'm not sure about Ohio State. And I've never been a Michigan fan. But I'll say Michigan played hard-nosed football because I'm going to say Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and Southern Cal. I think Southern Cal doesn't play anybody. And they've got a pretty good quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I listened to somebody last night. It's like they're going to try and light it up and try and impress people and, you know, and lay 50 and 60 on people to try and, you know, impress uh, pollsters or whatever. And I think that's kind of what Lincoln Riley does uh, out there in that conference. I think, you know, and I think that conference could be better with Penix up in Washington. And uh, there's some good teams out there that nobody ever gets to see. But I do think that Southern Cal's the best team out there. Hey, Bill, let's do it again soon. And uh, uh, make sure and come by the quad pregame and see us at the Town Square Media booth. And uh, that's the last I'll, time I ran I'll here definitely be there. And, uh, we'll do it again. All right. I appreciate y'all having me on. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Bill Lumpkin, our guest on Big Noon Sports. When we get back, we used to use the word. Now we're going to talk about it again. Disgraceful. Uh, that's what Paul Feinbaum said about a move the University of Alabama made. Woo, I think he went deep on this one. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. And, and just as not really a footnote, but an add-on, that uh, a lot of our Alabama interviews, most all of them, in fact, are uh, presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. 
365, 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow trucks, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're making improvements and helping our communities stay connected. We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe, too. Alabama's Move Over Law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow down. Visit drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling summer afternoon, lots of sunshine, the high today near 100. For tonight, fair with the low at 75. Excessively hot weather again tomorrow and Saturday. Partly to mostly sunny both days. Highs will stay very close to 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 98 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Indeed it is. Paul Feinbaum has come out in his reaction to Eli Gold doing home games and Chris Stewart doing the road games on the Crimson Tide Sports Network, of which Tide 100.9 is a proud member. But he came out... Uh, during his appearance this morning on Mark Heim, who we had on yesterday, his show, the opening kickoff on WNSP in Mobile, he said, I found the news yesterday to be disgraceful, Feinbaum told him. Picking up the quote, disgraceful, because he told me, and I know he's told you, after spending 240 days in a hospital and working through cancer and overcoming it, inspiring thousands in the state and around the country to get him back in the booth, then have the rug pulled from under him is, to me, an affront. Uh, how does he know Alabama pulled the rug out? It seems to me that Eli probably had a lot to do with this decision. And by the way, and I didn't talk to him about this, but I, saw, I ran into Eli. We both live kind of in the same area, but his is kind of at the top of the hill. Mine's kind of at the bottom. Uh, actually, I mean that literally. But he and Claudette were in the parking lot, and my son and I were coming out from Sneaky Pete's. Free plug. I need a hot dog. But he was sitting in a car. I talked to him. I said, hey, how'd it go? How'd it go with Tyler? You know, he said, last couple of weeks, you've done the Saturday. He, says, he said, fine. He sounded good. Um, you, you look a little different when you spend 240 days in a hospital. And, and you whip cancer's butt, but, and I know we're not going to do a deep dive because sometimes many know my, my history with this guy. I don't like giving, I don't like fanning his flames, but this one to me was just so outrageous that I had to bring it up because how the heck does he know? He's accusing Byrne of pulling the rug out from underneath their gold standard broadcaster. Yeah. Is that all you want to say? <laughs> all right. Um, we can go on to baseball. I'm okay no, with that. I, I'll say this. He, he's taken a, uh, a cue from the Clay Travis playbook, and that is the best way to get more eyeballs on you is to agitate Alabama fans. Agitate him, agitate, he, agitate, he agitate. Hey, that's what, that's what Clay Travis does. Still does it. Agitate Alabama fans. And, um, I, I, look, 
I have a good relationship with Paul. I like him. We used to have lunch every Tuesday at Nabil's. Well, that's until he didn't need you anymore. Well, I, okay. I said that. Yeah. You did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I, I, it, it's strange to me. The only person that could have given Paul, let's just let's just say that what Paul is is uh, alleging is accurate. That this was a uh, burn decision, not an Eli Gold decision. Where would that information come from? That would have to come from Eli. Eli is never going to throw Greg Byrne under the bus. Never. 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 Nope. So, <laughs> so did it come from Byrne? So oh, I did this. Yeah, sure. Well, I did no, I, I just, where, where, who's the source if, you know. I'll, I'll tell you who the source is. It's him. Yeah. That's Feinbaum. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's certainly not the first or. Unfortunately, not the last time that he'll do that, but that's it. All right, uh, breaking news from this morning concerning Major League Baseball and Shohei Otani. Um, he pitched a couple of innings, uh, had twins. He's been battling some injuries, but let's see. It was um, his toy is torn his UCL, which is in his right elbow, so he will not pitch the rest of this year. Uh, the story I read didn't go into great detail, but I said, you know, thinking that they, they use the word he will not pitch, he'll still hit. But that's a big time story moving forward, and uh, maybe a lot of it because the Angels decided not to trade him. Yeah, and there's a kind of a theory out there that the reason they didn't trade him is because they couldn't trade him because he wouldn't have passed a physical. Ooh. And I'm hearing Tommy John surgery, which used to be sort of like the end of a career, and it's nowhere near that anymore. But if he has Tommy John surgery, uh, or, or, or if he needs it. I think it, he had it. Uh, yeah. He's had it. Yes. Uh, like two, yeah. three years ago. Yes. Um yeah, uh, boy, that was, um, so that's a tough blow. That's really a tough oh. blow. A torn UCL, UCL. Um, and, you know, he's, he's the best story in baseball. And he might, he's one of the best stories in all of sports. And now, is it possible that his career as a pitcher is in jeopardy? Is it possible that I his. I don't know. He's kind of a Superman anyway, so maybe he heals faster. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe he heals better and stronger. But he is the, as a player, he is the story. Of course, I'm, I'm a big, big time homer here, but uh, I think the story in all of baseball is just how darn good the Atlanta Braves are. And you're right. He has had Tommy John surgery in 18, before. In 18, yeah. Like um, I mean, I, and I, I, I hate to even bring this up. But is it possible, like I said, is it possible he never pitches again? But if he doesn't, will that make him a better hitter? Well, he's like, got that, 44 that would, that would be, dingers that, this that year be, alone. That would be the positive outlook on this, that, hey, maybe he could just face, uh, maybe he could just be uh, a hitter. Um, but, uh, you know... Uh, I'm just I'm I'm seeing a quote here from a uh, a, a surgeon who's well respected and has done performed uh, Tommy John surgeries 
and of course it just went away. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> but he's saying he basically his point is you can come back from one Tommy John surgery. The odds of you coming back and pitching at a high level from a second Tommy John surgery. I wouldn't think they'd have low. like the ligaments and stuff to do it again, yeah. would they? Yeah. Because don't they take one from your forearm and put it in your elbow or your shoulder or something like that? I mean, it's, it's a it's a borrow from Peter to pay Paul type situation. As much as I know about the, you know, I am a weekend surgeon, by the way. <laughs> oh, but uh, that's a shame. But I had not heard the rumors that uh, one of the reasons they didn't trade him was because they couldn't because they, they, they knew he wouldn't pass the physical. Um, but that, that's just, uh, yeah, that's rough because he is a unicorn, one of a kind. Haven't seen anything like him since ever. Is that right? Or who would, who would, who would be in the discussion of being a, an elite hitter and an elite pitcher? The comparison is always Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. I yeah. mean, other than Babe Ruth, yeah. Is there I don't anybody, know if else? anybody else? No. <laughs> I don't know. And, and uh, when Ruth got to the Yankees, they stopped that. Yeah. And he, I think he still holds, and he certainly doesn't have as many appearances as, uh, you know, a guy like uh, Whitey Ford. But he, at one time, held the lowest ERA in World Series history. But I think that's when he's playing with socks. And obviously, he's becoming a free agent. And what will this do, you know, for his negotiations? I think we all expect him to go to the Dodgers, right? Isn't that the team that uh, he's been linked to the most? Yep. Oh. Or maybe, well, who knows, maybe the Yankees would. would uh, <laughs> Yankees. The Yankees are just a mess. Although lost I guarantee nine, they judge. just lost nine, yeah, nine in a row for the first, lost nine in a row First time since 82, but judge, judge went yard three times yesterday, but nonetheless, the season's over. Shoei Atani's just amazing. <laughs> Got 44 dingers, which by the way, one more than Matt Olson of the Atlanta Braves, but he's hitting 304 for a power hitter. And I'm trying to look, see here where his uh, RBIs are. 91 RBIs. <laughs> What's He's on pace to hit maybe 60, 125 RBIs, and still bat 300. By the way, he has 10 wins and 5 losses in a 3 ERA. <laughs> so now, if he can't pitch again, is he only half? Is he only worth half as much? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, obviously his value goes down, right? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. You remember Marquise Mays in the first few years of uh, the Saban era? I do. Heck of a player. He could light it up. He will join us next hour as we continue on this Friday. Excuse me. Did I move a day ahead? It's Thursday. It's Thursday. It kind of feels like Friday. Well, let's just make it a Friday. What are you doing after the show? We're heading to Innisfree. Uh, we are heading to Innisfree. All right. We will uh, return on the other side of the hour. You listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. I am. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. A town square media station. More Big Noon Sports coming up. 
famous Alabama player that wore jersey number nine. Uh, wouldn't that be Bryce Young? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Mark Cooper, right? Two? Yep. Um, Tim Bob Harris, but I'm going back to my days here. Was he nine? Anyway, he was a safety and a darn good one. Good fella, too. But there are, I guess, people on Facebook to do these pages and all that kind of stuff. And um, they put up the jersey numbers, the equivalent of the number of days to kick off. Yeah. Yesterday was 10. And uh, believe it or not, my first 10 that popped in my, with all, with Mac Jones and all, all the quarterbacks and all that was Reuben Foster because he, he was just a, a ball seeking missile. And by the way, I'm asking a question I don't know the answer. So, And we're in the same studio, so if you need to, throw something at me. All right. But where is he? I mean, with his year, with oh, the Maulers, did he sign with somebody? Uh, I asked question. the question. Come on, Justin, do you know? I don't did think Ruben he did. Did Foster sign? And I don't think our buddy uh, Jay Sternberger has. I haven't seen anything to that effect. And I thought both those USFL players would be in a camp right now. Uh, although Sternberg is a little bit different guy. He may just be happy to, uh, I'll, I'll just keep playing in the USFL. I like this gig. But Foster was like, I don't know if they named a defensive player of the year in the United States Football League. But he would have gotten my vote. Um, I think he's big time. Go to the NFL and start. Yeah, he he was God, he was so good at Alabama, so good at Alabama. After and one of the more amazing things in recruiting history, this was after he played at Auburn High School and tattooed the Auburn logo on his arm. That's right. Then he goes to Alabama. Yep. Yeah, he is not uh, currently in the NFL. Uh, Reuben Foster. Um, I do want to circle back to a story that we mentioned uh, in the first hour but didn't get to uh, sort of tie a bow on it. And that is, uh, okay, so with Tua uh, and uh, NFL analyst for ESPN, Ryan Clark. So to review, uh, Ryan Clark, who uh, is a safety, played for the Steelers for a lot of years, 13 years in the NFL, he joked earlier this week on an episode of NFL Live that uh, that Tua looked like he had skipped the gym and that he, quote, he might have spent a lot of time in the tattoo parlor. He was not at the dinner table eating what the nutritionist had advised. Okay, so there you go. Ryan Clark just uh, ripping into Tua. Um, and, uh, and then Tua was asked about it on Wednesday uh, during his uh, press conference, and he was asked sort of how hard did he work in the off season, and uh, and then he he told reporters, "quote I think we all worked hard throughout the off season. I'm not one to talk about myself. Uh, I talk about the entire team, but it takes a lot." And he said, "You all, you you think I wanted to build all this muscle?" Like, to some extent, I wanted to be a little lighter. There's a mixture of things that people don't understand, that people don't know about, that are talked about, that go on behind, behind the scenes. So, you know, I'd appreciate if you kept my mouth, or sorry, if you kept my name out of your mouth. That's what I would say. And, uh, and so Tua was not, he was not happy. 
And uh, and then he added, I mean, and in talking about Ryan Clark, he said he probably knows more about me than I know about myself. I don't know. Ryan's been out of the league for some time. I don't know. It's a little weird when people are talking about the other people when they're not that person. Just a little weird. I come from a Samoan family. Respect is everything. But it does get to the point where, hey, you know what? little easy on that, buddy. I think we're pretty tough-minded people. And if we need to get scrappy, we can get scrappy too. Just saying. <laughs> All right. know, uh, so, can I give you a quick take on this? Yes. Overreact. I mean, come, come on, Tua. Do you think the guy was really that serious? I took his comments in jest. They were meant to be in jest. I think they were. I, I don't think his reaction is strictly from Ryan Clark. I think this is a culmination of I, all the uh, great everything. It's, it's, a, it's, it. it's collective, right? Because this has been going on for a while. Well, and he, you know, the, the people that think he's, um, I, I guess, uh, less than tough, he, he does, you know, he, he has been injury prone. But that happens when you're slammed to the turf with about 600 pounds of force. But so, that, that's a good point. But But Clark did what? He apologized, but it was like an apology slash non-apology because he said, I, I take uh, accountability for it. Uh, I meant it as a, it was meant as a joke. I, I, if I asked why I said it by two, I would tell him I have zero issues looking a man in the eye and telling my truth. I accept any consequence. And then uh, he wrote that on Twitter, or now known as X. And then uh, then Clark, uh, he also posted a video, and he, he said he, quote, genuinely apologized. And um, he kind of went on and on and on. But then he, he couldn't let it go because Tua had basically challenged him to a fight. And Ryan Clark was like, I... I made my living by being a violent person. And you want some? Come get it. Essentially. That's what I took from what Ryan Clark was saying. I don't know if I if he meant it that way. I, That's I think what he the, said. I, I know. He I, said, I, like, I, I, I made my living with violence. I think, though, the point of him saying that was he was calling out his ego and how his ego led to that. I think uh, he seemed very authentic in the apology. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> why even just say that? Fight, fight. Why, why, why does he even say that I'm a violent person? Why even say, oh, is my e-? what, what, that his ego has nothing to do with, with what he said originally. He, but he's like, I, I have to respond to the fact that Tua wants to he fight he's me. He's tough-minded. Maybe it's just like a, I understand why you would say, like, we can scrap because... Because I, because we, because we can, <laughs> you know. And who do you, who are you taking in that fight, Ryan Clark? Oh, I'm taking two a whole day. Are long. you serious? I have to remind myself how big Ryan Clark is because I'm, I'm leaning Ryan Clark. I think. Uh, there's not enough point. Have in the you world ever tussled to with? Have that you ever fight? tussled with a Samoan? Um, yeah, but you know, <laughs> a Samoan and the poi can get you so far. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, Ryan Clark's just dominating physically. And no, have you? Is that something you do in the offseason? <laughs> no. Are, are you, you you're getting in the Samoan um, judo and jujitsu, and you getting into that kind of fighting with them? No, keep, keep warm, safe sumo. I'm a lover, not a fighter. He's only five yeah. eleven. 
Tua. All right, what is, Ryan what is Clark? Clark? What are the dimensions? Yeah, of Ryan, Ryan Clark's Clark. not. Ryan Clark's not that big, is he? He's five eleven. What? Oh, probably, I thought he's taller than that. Five eleven, probably one ninety five now. I bet. I bet two outweighs him. Oh. Don't want to get a Samoan on the ground. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking <laughs> he was a little better, a little different. Um, uh, physically, I'm taking five eleven two oh five is what it says. I'm here. taking two. Um, I don't know. It's uh, just a, a stu- that was a stupid question. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't believe in fighting. I don't promote fighting. Uh, there's always a way to figure things out without your fists. Usually, but that has not been the history of this planet. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you ever okay let's 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 explore this a little bit uh-huh with both of you have you guys ever been in a serious fight in your life a few and did you end up on the ground or did you end up standing above the guy uh, uh, bleeding I ended up on, on the, the ground, ground but i got back up i would say that the, the two big fights i've gotten into my life ended up a draw because, funny, you know, finally, man, I don't care. Boxers are have such stamina, stamina, but fighting takes all of your energy out. Anybody says they fought for five minutes is probably kidding. And that's why you see the U.S. I got in a boxing ring one time for charity, and we're just kind of sparring around. Uh, but the other guy was a huge. He was like a pro, kind of a professional boxer, but we were doing it for charity. Okay, but he was a little bit more serious than charity. And, I, you know, you're just kind of running around, you're sparring. I got the little pads on my ears in the boxing matches, and I'm doing that. And you just kind of, you know, throw punches and all that. But he reared back and clocked the crap out of me. And, you know, I don't care who you are. When that happens, you're going to react. Now, you may be Lars Anderson, the most peaceful man on earth. You're going to react. Yeah. I promise I could, you. I could see you, Matt, in a WWE uniform, oh. diving off the top rope. I don't even believe flips. in WWE. But anyway. No, hold on. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You need to answer the question here. Uh, no. I mean, huh? as a kid, I've fought and wrestled. I've not had But to, nothing like uh, a no, fight no, like no in high school. No, nothing like in high school or college. Even I try to avoid NCAA. those situations, especially yeah. in college. Because you're, you're a lover and a talker, <laughs> not a fighter. But... Two minutes in that ring, and that was as long as the round was. Um, I had to crawl back to the corner. I was so physically exhausted. Ray Mellick did it with me, and Ray said the same thing. And well, that was when I was like 28. I was in really good shape. You know, our, our buddy Chris Walsh at Bama Central, yeah. he got in the ring once with Deontay Wilder. Well, they were supposed just to kind of tap around, not do anything. Well, Chris ended up... Uh, with a fractured orbital bone. I wasn't aware Deontay Wilder could tap around. I thought he only had one. <laughs> no, had yeah, one, no, one I mean, it, it's, it, the really? way Chris tells the story is just amazing. And and actually, this goes back to uh, what uh, Bill Lumpkin, our, our first guest, he, he, he used the word uh, Plimpton. George Plimpton was the one who pioneered participatory sports journalism, meaning you get in there and you uh, end up writing a first-person piece. And remember, he wrote Paper, Paper Lion. And where the movie he, was pretty good, too. Yeah, where he, yeah he became uh, the... Uh, he played quarterback for the Lions in the, in the preseason and just got absolutely Smashed. destroyed. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, George, he was at Sports Illustrated for a long time, and he was one of my all-time favorite writers. Passed you away remember who played? 
Plimpkin in the movie. Mm-mm. Very unquarterback like guy. Alan Alda. Really? Hawkeye. I would, I would, not, th- I would not think Alan Alda would. But Alex Karras played himself in that movie, and he was fantastic. Next thing you know, he's Mongo. <laughs> That's right. One of the greatest characters in cinema history. Um, Marquise Mays is next, former battle wide receiver on Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling summer afternoon, lots of sunshine. The high today near 100. For tonight, fair with the low at 75. Excessively hot weather again tomorrow and Saturday. Partly to mostly sunny both days. Highs will stay very close to 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 97 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. We got Justin Jones, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. Uh, actually sitting in the Tide studios today is quite nice. Uh, and there's one thing, it's a very nice, very functional studio. But, man, believe it or not, it's 100 degrees outside. It is 57 in this studio. <laughs> so cold. I have actually <laughs> cracked the window. And listen to how weird this is. I'm trying to let heat in. <laughs> and the heat index is 112. Uh, anyway, we're trying to get in touch with Marquis Mays. What else is on your... On your well, uh, you know, a story that is getting a lot of national play is the fact that uh, Trey Lance, who uh, the 49ers picked with the number three overall draft pick in uh, 2021, and you got to remember that they traded four picks to uh, acquire him, three first-round picks and a third-rounder. He's been demoted to third string, which effectively... Not just back up. Not backup. Backup is going to be Sam Darnold, who uh, also a, a former high number one uh, first uh, first round draft pick, going to be backing up Mister Relevant, the seventh round draft pick, uh, uh, <laughs> what two years ago, uh, Brock Purdy, and uh, and Purdy, you know, he had that injury last year to his elbow late last year, and uh, but now he he's fully healthy. And, you know, if the Niners uh, had not – if John Lynch, who's the general manager, had not done such a good job of constructing this roster, he would be fired. Because this pick, this 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 trade that they made to acquire Trey Lance in 2021 is going to go down as one of the worst trades in NFL history. I mean, it's in the – it's got to be like in the top five. Um, you know, Herschel Walker trade being at the top, but um, but the fact is that the the Niners have a have a good team. They just need serviceable play at the quarterback position, kind of like Alabama this year. I think they just need to be uh, just decent and have a quarterback that is uh, not uh, going to turn the ball over. Um, and so, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, Brock Purdy is going to be the guy and, uh, Trey Lance, <clears throat> excuse me. I think Trey Lance, uh, after receiving the news, he didn't show up at the, uh, facility yesterday in Santa Clara, uh, California. 
but he's back today and and uh and john lynch again the general manager he said that uh although you know the team's exploring all options for trey lance including the trade he said that there's still a strong possibility that he'll remain on the team as the uh, third string quarterback going into the season and he said that's the most likely option and you know why because nobody's gonna <laughs> Trey Lance isn't worth anything anymore. And the problem is he was coming out of North Dakota State. Didn't throw the ball hardly at all. Only in in in, in his uh uh COVID year, North Dakota State only played one game, and that was just to showcase Trey Lance. He didn't even play that well in that game. He just has not gotten uh any reps. And so why they would trade up to get him, I thought it was really curious at the time. We we believed, we talked about it at the time. But Mac was, was going to be go. Mac Jones. Yeah. And frankly, I'd much rather have Mac Jones than Trey Lance right now. I, I was that way at that time. If they drafted Mac Jones, my, my take is they'd have a Super Bowl right now. You think they'd have won with him instead of Purdy? I think Mac, well, Jones, Mac Jones is like a, a better version of... Of Brock Purdy, right? I mean, Brock Purdy is a—he's a good quarterback. Yeah. He was—I mean, he was good at Iowa State, but he doesn't have the talent of Mac Jones. Well, and and I don't mean just his past season with Brock Purdy. I—I I think like some like Lars, you just said similar talents there, Mac Jones and Brock Purdy. But saying Mac Jones doesn't get hurt like Lance does, I think they—they uh, they beat um, who they play the Chiefs two years ago in the Super Bowl. I think. Yeah. I think they I think they beat the Chiefs. Really? Instead of Garoppolo at quarterback. Oh. I don't know, but I do know this. Uh, even I remember watching that draft and even up until they started the telecast, I was thinking they're not really doing this, but then they'd already made the trade to get up. But weren't they at, at one time wasn't there people thinking they would trade up to get Mac? Yeah. And then when they drafted Lance, everybody, oh, well, I think everybody's, uh, people aren't happy in San Francisco. And what did he sign for? Do you, do you have the numbers in front? Trey. Uh, I mean, as a third pick, it's going to be probably around 20 million. Yeah. Somewhere in there. But, you know, they're not all going to turn into Josh Allen. Because where did Josh Allen play? Like Montana State. Josh, uh, Josh Allen played at Wyoming. Wyoming, yeah. That Trey Lance contract, $34 million over four years. Oh. Well, what's the old saying? He's laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. Man, and, and he's taking like, what, 5% of the snaps <laughs> so, now? Yeah. I mean, and, and you go back and you do an analysis of that draft. <laughs> of the 12 players drafted after Trey Lance, uh-huh. seven have already been to Pro Bowls, including Jamar Chase. You love him. He's my guy. I, 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 because my son Lincoln, his favorite player is Jamar Chase, and so I got him a big head. So there's like a, a <laughs> well, and Lincoln's not a tall guy. No, so that's but, like but three he, times his yeah, height. Yeah, yeah, and those are harder to put up than you would imagine. It doesn't but just, um, just yeah, so seven, the wall. seven Pro Bowlers: uh, Jamar Chase, uh, Kyle Pitts, right, tight end uh, who was at Florida and now with Atlanta. Uh, offensive tackle Penny Sewell, Patrick Sertain the second, we know a little bit about Micah Parsons, 
maybe the best defensive player in the league, uh, Rashawn Slater, who's a, uh, um, a really good offensive tackle. Uh, Mac Jones has been to a, uh, a Pro Bowl. And, uh, and the Dolphins, so they, with the, with the 49ers traded with the Dolphins, right, to move up. And so far, guess who the Dolphins have, uh, parlayed with, those picks into? This is good. I like uh, it. Jalen Waddle. Okay. Uh, that alone. Tyreek Hill. <laughs> they used uh, they used it they, they, yeah but they him. got him yeah. because they had those extra picks and uh Bradley Chubb who's a really good pass rusher one of the one of the one of the oh, better ones and the Eagles were also somewhat involved in the trade um and, and they moved they used the picks that were acquired by by uh, trading to with Miami to get Miami to waddle, they used the pick that that they got essentially from the trade to pick Devonte Smith, wide receiver wow. who so owned, two Bama wide receivers yeah. are in there, and then Tyree Kill played at West Alabama, and the Forty ers original pick that year was the twelfth overall draft pick. And that was the pick that the Cowboys used to take Micah Parsons. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I mean, the more you dig into this, just the, the absolute worse it looks. It looks so bad. Worse so than Ryan bad. Leaf. Of course, they didn't, nobody traded to get Ryan Leaf, which I, I think that's the big. Yeah. That's no, they, the, didn't, they didn't have to. San Diego didn't have to give up anything. They were just picking number two overall. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just tough because, um, he entered the NFL. Remember, he was a FCS quarterback and he, at North Dakota State. He only played one full season at North Dakota State. And since middle school, Trey Lance had only attempted about 640 passes. Huh? Since middle school. You what have guys in the NFL, you guys in the NFL who throw 640 pass att- have 640 pass attempts in one season, right? And more. Well, and and you, you have to remember too, they drafted him coming out of North Dakota State. They didn't play that COVID year. Yeah, they played he, that one game. Yeah, one game. They played one yeah. game. He didn't even play a full season. And then, and then he uh, chipped a bone in his finger during his rookie preseason, and he basically couldn't throw a normal all year. Then at the start of his second season, he broke his ankle and he missed the rest of the year. And so it's just, uh, it's a combination of injury and also, cause he, he, these are two key developmental years, right? Your rookie year, your second year, you should be good to go by your third year if you're picked that high in the first round, but, uh, he didn't get a chance to develop. And I don't know. Is there untapped potential there? Maybe. I mean, he's he's a he's he's a year younger than Will Levis, right? Who was uh, just picked this last year out of Kentucky by the uh, Titans. Hurt, didn't he? Yeah, Levis. Yeah. Oh, he did. Did he just get hurt? I'm not sure. I don't know why I threw that in there. I interrupted. (laughs) Um. But yeah, I, I, I apparently the Vikings 
are interested in him because this is Kirk Cousins last year, and I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to get re-signed. Um, but it, it certainly appears that the Niners are just kind of stuck with him uh, for at least another year. But, man, just trading up for a quarterback, it, it, it is a high-risk can be high reward. Or Did they can, list or tell anybody particular reasons why he was so unsuccessful and he dropped a third? Who's that? Trey Lance. I mean, what, is, is he just like overthrowing everybody? Is he not handing the ball? Oh, not he, the system, he's, he's inaccurate. Can't, he, he, he's inaccurate. He doesn't know where to go with the ball. He's trouble reading defenses. He looks completely lost out there. I mean... Uh, what the scouting report was it? Uh, maybe uh, I just had a really good PR department. You well, think if you're going to invest thirty four million dollars, you do a lot of research. Yeah, uh, that's golly. I'm, so do hey, you think like there's a chance playing Trey Lance? You know. It wasn't well. If I spent thirty-four million dollars, I'm gonna blame somebody, and that would be the first one. Oh, I think. But you I gotta, think you, you blame you the blame general manager and the head coach. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Do you think Kyle Shanahan would? I don't know anything Apparently, about Lynch. Apparently, what I've been, what to know? To, the, the word on the street is that Shanahan wanted Mac Jones, the general uh, manager, overruled him, John Lynch, and he wanted Trey Lance. Lance, a former player? Yeah, he's in the Hall of yeah. Fame. Safety. You think he didn't, he, he didn't play quarterback. <laughs> Oops. That is. But uh, you know what? That trade eventually will come back to haunt. I mean, I know the 49ers are really good right now, and they have a chance to reach the Super Bowl, all that. But eventually, that trade is going to come back to haunt this franchise because um, they're just, they're missing out on the depth and uh, quality starters that they would have acquired through those high picks that they gave up. When we get back, we're going to hear from head coach Nick Saban. Hey, this is the Big Noon Sports Network. I mean, I, I think just about every time something bad happens, and when I say bad happens, I'm talking about an explosive play. It's either about missed tackles or mental errors. And um, I think we've gotten better at eliminating, you know, some of those. But one of the things I didn't think we did as well in the last scrimmage as the first scrimmage is tackle. And, you know, that goes back to how you practice. You know, we don't really ever and have never practiced where you tackle people in practice. But you have to thud them, right? So you get in position to tackle the guy. You near leg your shoulder. You wrap the guy up. So you're always in position to tackle. And if you do that consistently, then when you have to tackle people, you're going to be in the right position. And that's something that we really emphasize with our players, you know, this week to try to improve the tackling. Well, that's Nick Saban, and he's talking about tackling. And, I, you know, the more I think about it, um, you just don't hit anymore. 
So he's, he's talking about locking him up. That's still not the same as getting the guy on the ground. And uh, I imagine that is a little bit tough because you just don't want to hit a lot, Lars. You don't want anybody to get hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's a it, fine line. Fine line. You get hurt in non-contact. Just look at the NFL. Yeah, Jerry Judy uh, this morning. Joe Burrow. Is he okay, Lars? Are you okay? Yeah. No, he's going to be fine. Uh, I'll say this real quick, Matt, that uh, there's another uh, statement that Nick Saban made that has all of sort of Alabama fans buzzing and wondering. It's a game. So since, uh, okay, Nick Saban has seen 18 scholarship players leave via the transfer portal in the last year. But on Wednesday, yesterday, uh, Coach Saban admitted that he's only shaken up over one of them. And we're going to get to that in a second. We, we will do that. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's, it's been a big guessing game. And uh, if we got the clip, all right. Oh, we got uh, Marquise Mays. All uh, right. Well, we're, you, you, things are things, things I, move I fast here people, in big news for us. But we want to get back to that clip because it, it does. It's a, it's a fun game. You and I played it on the way over here. We did. Who is he talking about? Anyway, Marquise Mays, former Alabama Crimson Titer, return man, wide receiver. He's joining us. And let me set this up properly from your buddy Ron there, Marquise. Um, you will be... At the Bama Arcade in Moore, which is uh, there in Dora. I love Dora. It's right there in the Piggly Wiggly group, right there at that corner, that intersection. You'll be there Saturday, September 9th at 11 a.m. What will you be doing? Signing autographs, that kind of stuff, and serving food? What, what are you going to be doing, Marquise? <laughs> I'll just be signing autographs and uh, taking pictures. Uh, before we get into this, this is not something you're going to get in many interviews. You and I have a lot in common, and let me tr- trust me, it is not athletically. But my grandsons and your sons played on the same football teams last year. Don't you hey, have a son that's 12 and another one that's like 8? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know what they were, Lars? Really fast. <laughs> I remember going to first practice, and it was, it was almost like a cartoon. Uh, my grandson's a pretty good player. Both of them are. And believe it or not, looking at me, they're fairly fast. But when they would run their gassers at the end of practice, Marquise would be coming back, and the other kids were still going in the same direction. Uh, you got pretty good kids and good players. Yes, sir. Uh, Thanks. Marquise, tell everybody what you're doing these days. Uh, well, I'm just, and like you say, man, I'm just taking care of those kids, man, and uh, trying to be the best father I could be. That's pretty much what I'm doing right now. Marquise, going back to uh, your recruitment, uh, and uh, and you had originally committed to Michigan. But then uh, you decided to, uh, after Nick Saban came, and in February 2007, you signed a letter of intent with Alabama. Can you just take us back to that time and why you decided to switch from Michigan to Alabama, and what role did Nick Saban play in that? Oh, man, you take me back up some time. Uh 2007, well, you know, I had well over 
I had well over a hundred offers from different schools. Um, the reason that to, to be honest, to be completely honest with you, it was my junior year. Uh, it was my junior year. I was out um, horse playing and broke my foot, and I just sporadically committed to Michigan the same day because I thought it was gonna they were gonna take my scholarship away. So I just committed to Michigan that day, and uh, I really didn't know much about Michigan besides watching it on TV and uh, things like that. But when I took my visit, uh, it, it just wasn't a place I wanted to go. To spend uh, the next three to five years of my life. Uh, oh, came uh, come January, no. Yeah, January of my senior year, um, Nick Saban gets hired. And uh, most coaches, most coaches tell you what you want to hear. Uh, you're going to come in and start. You're going to be this All-American. All of this good stuff. And uh, Nick Saban just told me the truth. He said, uh, you'll have opportunity to play. But we're not promising nothing. So, I mean, I just felt like his honesty was was good enough for me. Do you take pride in being a part of uh, Nick Saban's first recruiting class at Alabama? And uh, and, and, and just uh, talk to us a little bit about the relationship you have with other guys in that class. Man, it's a, it's a very special relationship with, my, with, with the guys in that class. Um, we all kind of stay connected. Um, And I think um, I think you got guys like Tavis and uh, Rolando and Josh Chapman and guys of that of that uh, nation, man. It's just man, we still talk to this day, man. It's like man, we are brothers. We built the bond that I mean is unbreakable. I believe at this point, it's an unbreakable bond. When uh, you were first in Alabama, from being recruited by Saban until going on to win two national championships, uh, this may kind of sound like a lame question, but it was right there in front of your eyes. What developed so quickly to turn Alabama into an average team into a Marquise-led uh, national championship team? I would say uh, just the approach. Uh most of the guys that I came in with in no seven, man, nobody was used to losing. So that first year, man, was kind of tough for a lot of us guys. I think uh, most of us came together. Uh, after that year, man, we had a few guys that didn't buy in to what Nick Saban was trying to teach. And it was like, man, we, at, we are actually his guys. So we have to take a different approach. Football than those guys did, and we have to take a, di- a different approach to coaching than those guys did because they come from uh, another coach, and we ne- none of us ever played for that coach. So we bought into what coach was saying, and uh, and we just I think the will of not liking or one lose is what pushed us over the hump, and uh, along with good coaching and 
the support we had from the fans and stuff like that. In the uh, documentary that just came out about uh, Florida and the uh, the six years of uh, Urban Meyer, uh, or covered a six year span. Uh, Tim Tebow, I don't know if you got a chance to see this, but Tim Tebow said of the 2009 SEC championship game, which uh, you know from a outside observer like myself, that was a really a key moment for you guys and I've I've talked to Greg McElroy about it and it wasn't necessarily like wanting to win the national championship it was wanting to get back to the SEC championship and take on Florida but in the documentary Tim Tebow said well Alabama they they had they were playing like they had nothing to lose well (laughs) the fact is you guys are 12 and 0 ranked second in the country and had a chance to go on to play for the national championship so I kind of viewed that as a little bit of uh, you know revisionist history but what do you remember about that game and is it is it uh, accurate, you know, to say that that really was the like the key game of the um, 2009 national championship winning season? Um, I wouldn't say that was the key game. I would say uh, games leading in, leading up to it was the key game. Uh, you know, actually coming back to beat Auburn at Auburn and uh. Cody, Cody blocking the field goal against Tennessee. So those were some, yeah. those were some key games. But, uh, yeah, that was our mindset, man, was beating a team that we thought we should have beat the year, year before. Uh, we had every opportunity to beat them. We let it slip away. And, um, we knew we were a better team. So, uh, I actually did get a chance to see the, um, documentary and, one of the guys did mention that they should have won in 2008, and, I, and I'm like, nah, man. <laughs> Y'all didn't stand a chance. <laughs> uh, and they just said how much talent they had on the team. But I guess they just looking at it from that standpoint, but we had we also had a tremendous amount of talent on our team, too. Yeah, just from a journalism standpoint, I thought the producers did a really bad job. Why didn't you? That is such a key game for both Florida and Alabama. Why not interview Alabama players? Why not interview Marquise Mays? Were were you kind of surprised by that? I mean, what what was your just whole take of the of the documentary as as a former Alabama player who lived through that time period and played through it? I guess it was that to me, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I, uh, actually, I actually took a visit with some of those guys. So it was good to see some guys that, like, we took visit in high school and stuff that I haven't, I haven't seen in, in years, man. And, uh, the story is more about Florida than Alabama. So I don't take it as if they needed to interview Alabama players, but. Because it was it was more about their program. Because I don't think if they did something for Alabama, they should interview other players about about uh, a documentary for for us. Well, you uh, personally were able to get back in Florida. You threw a touchdown pass to Michael Williams. Was I guess? Well, you played quarterback at Tarrant, right? So yeah, it wasn't like you couldn't spin one. But that must have been pretty cool as a wide receiver. Oh, yeah, it was very cool, man. I got the opportunity. Well, 
you know, it was it was a good moment for me because I felt I really felt underused at Alabama because uh, I got to watch guys like uh, David Farmer and you know Tyrone Proto. That those guys got to do a lot within the offense, and I personally that that's what I was in high school. Like I was an athlete. I played running back. I played quarterback. I played receiver. I played safety. I played corner. So when I didn't get those opportunities, and I know that it's college level, but I felt underused. But, you know, I don't regret ever going to Alabama, but that was a very, very key moment for me. Just to show the world that it was other things that I could do. You were you were an electric player, Marquise. Hey, we appreciate your time. One again, everybody uh, that is in the area. And by the way, you do this earlier enough in the day. Uh, I guess you can go to the game that night. The 11 o'clock appearance at Bama Arcade and Moore, Saturday, September 9th. Marquise Mays will be there, sign autographs and chat with you. Hey, you were an electric player to watch. We appreciate you joining us, Marquise. All right, thank you. You bet. Thank you, Marquise. Uh, also, just want to make one more quick announcement. Uh, Matt and I are going to be at uh, Greystone Legacy in Birmingham for a golf tournament on Thursday, August 31. It is uh, the Bridgeways uh, uh, tournament, uh, the Kathleen P. Brune Memorial Leadership Open. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, there's, they still have openings available to inquire about it, you can reach out to uh, our good friend Patty Bromberg at 205-208-3045. Again, that's 205-208-3045. That's the, the Bridgeways Kathleen P. Brune Memorial Leadership Open Thursday, August 31 at Greystone Legacy. Who is Nick Saban talking about? We'll get our opinions on the other side of this break as you listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Barry Buckner. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling summer afternoon, lots of sunshine, the high today near 100. For tonight, fair with the low at 75. Excessively hot weather again tomorrow and Saturday, partly to mostly sunny both days. Highs will stay very close to 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 97 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Um, I don't know. Who, I don't know who you're specifically, you know, talking about. But, um, you know, guys are getting transfer portal. This, this is not for everybody. 
Okay, so maybe people that want to be here, want to be good, want to do the best they can, develop value for their future and who they are as a person, what kind of requirements we have for them to succeed academically so they can develop a career on the field, and what we're going to do to try to develop them on the field. And I, I think I'm not mentioning any names, but there's only like one player that I was really like disappointed that, you know, the guy didn't stay here and I couldn't understand why he was leaving. And, um, you know, and all the rest of them, they would have contributed if they stayed and had the right attitude, but it's their choice. And, you know, what we have an opportunity to do when guys leave is we have an opportunity to replace them too. And they do. But I'm just looking at the transfer portal from, I think, this past season. And I guess everybody's got a guess. Um, and we're going to limit it this year because I couldn't really tell, Lars. Was he talking about of all the transfers? I think he was just speaking about okay. this year. For and our topic. Eight, 18, oh, within the last year. So 18 scholarship players have left via the transfer portal in the last year. And again, uh, just to amplify what Nick Saban just said, he basically said that only one has shaken them, shaken him up, that he didn't understand why he'd left. So Alabama fans now are, are guessing who's that player. So, let's play Who's That Player on Big Noon Sports. Now, you and I played on the way over here. We both have our guesses, so let's talk with Justin. What transfer portal Alabama player is Nick Saban referring to? I, I want to say it was the linebacker Drew Sanders that went to Arkansas. That was um, the year before, though. Oh, the year before. But I, I talked about that on the way over because talent-wise, kid could play. I'm not sure then. I did. I have been looking at it on Twitter. I saw the the name. I, he's a wide receiver. Is it like Aaron Anderson? There's an Aaron Anderson. Aaron Anderson. There he is. He's a, f- a former five star. Tommy Brockemeyer, former five star. Um, perhaps Tyler Harrell, who had all the speed, but he couldn't break through because of injury last year. Jojo Earl. Jojo That's Earl. Mine. That's yeah, mine. Yeah, you know what? I I have come around. I think he's talking about Jojo Earl because uh, it's it's so rare for Nick Saban uh, to unsolicited mention a freshman's name in a press conference uh, in preseason, and he did that about Jojo Earl. I think he just believed in Jojo Earl, could have been a, a huge player here and ended up transferring. So th- that's my guess. But you had another guess over uh, on the way over, and I, I would think thinking, you had a really good reason for yeah, it. Yeah, I was thinking uh, Trey Sanders, but or, yes, Trey Sanders, who had been through a uh, car accident and just, you know, had, he'd endured a lot here in, in Tuscaloosa. And I feel like the coaching staff, the trainers are just were really invested in him. Um, I would love to get Ryan Fowler's opinion on this. If uh, Ryan in the studio, yeah, Ryan, Ryan, got a question for you. Got a question for you, Mr. Fowler. What is the question? The question is, and you know, I know you're going to talk about this on your show in a, in a couple minutes. Aaron Anderson. Okay, I didn't even ask you the question. I didn't hear what you guys said, but Aaron Anderson is where I would go. I went JoJo Earl. You know, both of those guys would have a role in this What about Christian Leary? I mean, that guy had speed and then some, 
But when he got on the field, yeah, it was kind of huh. I would go Aaron Anderson. I just okay. think when you look at the dynamic playmaker. But listen, I also – I was on another show this morning. I was on two. I said JoJo Earl, too. Because oh. I, I think it could be either one of those guys. You know, just catch you – know, what is a receiver supposed to do? What did Nick Saban say? Yeah. He catches the ball. Yeah. We're, we're having trouble with that out there. I, I don't know. That seems to be a, an, an element. If they don't get that worked out, uh, that could be a – Where did uh, JoJo Earl end up? TCU. And were y'all not surprised when he transferred? Because, I mean, some of them you're not surprised by. I'm not surprised that the other Brock Meyer did. But. NIL funding. Ah, uh, um, uh, uh, I mean. And matter of fact, they were coming strong after Jalen Milrow. Uh, they, were, they were working that. They ended up getting the young man, I believe, from Oregon State, I think is where they went to, uh, and got a quarterback to, to kind of go into that direction. So that's a... That's a little bit of a, you know, it's it's what you're having to deal with. But I would go Aaron, Aaron Anderson. Um, I think he got homesick. I don't think there was – I think that's where Coach Saban was like, I never got a true explanation. Uh, but he'll tell you a lot of things and only one guy. So That's pretty interesting. Were, were you uh, surprised that Nick Saban just said, yeah, you know what, take it or leave it. But, hey, there is one. I was a little bit, but, you know, he's told us before in other media availability, he said, I've been known to walk them to the portal. Like, I guess, and I don't know what it's like. Do you guys ever have this photo, like, of this computer setting somewhere <laughs> yes. in a hallway where they type in their name? He said it before that we have walked them to put their name in the transfer portal. I think uh -huh. it's done through compliance, but I just see this, you know, like old-style Apple computer, like the big, thick ones, sitting in a hallway where they type out their name and officially put themselves. They, they, don't, they don't have to see a coach. They, they can do it on their own. Well, and do would they I have to have a witness? <laughs> what I mean, that would just be laying prank. out there. That would be a prank. I mean, like, you know, April Fool's. Here's, okay, here's, yeah. here's, here's, yeah. here's my analysis. Not that anybody really cares, but I think of the 18 that left, 17 were essentially shown the door by the coaches based on where they were in the depth chart. And there was one that was not shown the door. In this case, it's not the door, it's the laptop. We're talk with Coach Tuberville at 220 about all this pandering going on in college football and what can actually be done. You guys talked about it last Thursday with the Missouri situation. Yeah. I'm going to bring that up because all these states are creating their own legislative proposals, which is just a chaos. How did you get Tommy Tuberville? You know how long we had? <laughs> they sent me a text and said, hey, can we put Tuberville Man, Tubs there's some heads going to roll on that one. No offense. Good good for you. But I tried for months to get that done. We had publicist. it set I'll up. I'll give you his publicist. And no, his I story. know his publicist. Yeah. And now she's going to know oh, me better. Oh, You got Coulter fired up. Oh, man. That's... I'm glad you had her. There's certainly nothing against you. But we had it all set up and ready to go. Somebody had to go out of town. And then they... I think Tommy... You know what? I think, I'm as mad as you were yesterday about Kenny Anderson. I think he found out that I was Walt Maddox's speechwriter. 